Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by Brian Howell from BuffZone.com. Been contributing to BuffStampede.com here a little bit during the whole pandemic. Brian, uh, what's life like been for you since we recorded our last podcast? Well, uh, some furlough time and uh, some vacation time with the family. Um, you know, summer is usually a time that uh, we're off and doing some vacation time anyway. So spent a week in Minnesota with the family, did some camping and uh, I'm trying to get back in the groove of, of football and hoping there is football. How about you? Yeah, been busy. We uh, moved this summer, so getting settled in, in the new house, that's been great. But yeah, it's it's late July now, and this is this this should be go time for us. This should be, right. you know, Pac-12 media days and jumping right into camp and, and gearing up for the season. And so uh, it's tough. You know, it's obviously tough for fans, for players, kind of being in the state of limbo, and us included. I want to know what the situation is going to be like here in the coming months, and there's just so much uncertainty out there. Yeah, there really is. And, and in fact, you know, based on the, uh, the original schedule that we had, this was supposed to be the first day of our virtual Pac-12 media days, but uh, that was obviously postponed. So uh, you're right. I mean, by now, you know, we've already done all the Pac-12 media days, and camp is starting here in a few days. And you're ready to roll, but at this point in time, you know who knows. And um, I think you and I and and other people are ready to roll. You know, I'm sure you've seen it. You know, we we've seen some some narratives on social media. People saying the media, you know, doesn't want football to happen. Yeah, that's not true at all. You know, I I think all of us are are just dying to have some football here. Uh, there's some reality that we have to throw in, but uh, I think we're all you know just dying to have some college football, pro football, whatever it is, right? Yeah. You said there's reality out there. I don't know. I've always been more of a realist than an optimist. And, and so uh, we get asked a little bit about what we think the percentage that they're actually going to play in the fall is. We'll get to that later. But uh, it's just it's hard to be optimistic right now. And it was a topic on our message board about you mentioned this uh, apparently in your chat this week about the Marlins situation this week does not look good for the future of college football. I know it's a different sport, but just when you see how quickly it can take over a team and uh, that's with professional athletes, with college age kids. I, I, how do you monitor 105 guys on a daily basis and make sure they're all doing the right thing? Yeah. And I think that was, a, that had to be a scary situation for everyone in sports. And I think the one positive is that major league baseball released numbers that out of 6,000 tests or whatever they did last weekend, the only ones that came back positive were the Marlins. And so it wasn't anything that was uh, you know, widespread across the league. But, you know, let's take the Pac-12, for example. What happens if everybody starts playing and there's eight cases at CU? You know, does CU have to stop playing for a while? Um, and you're, you're right. I mean, it's, it's got to set off an alarm. That's, there can be a lot of cases in a short manner of time and maybe shut down a team, maybe shut down a conference, shut down a, um, the whole college football system, you know, so – and maybe it's going to shut it down anyway. But, you know, if we get going, what's it going to take for it to shut down? And and I don't know the answer as to whether um, – is it easier or harder to control it with college kids? Because, um, you know, college kids at least you can keep on campus and they don't have, like, wives and, and kids that they're going home to like the pro athletes do. But, you know, the pro athletes obviously have money at stake. And so, um, you know, there's different elements to it, right? Uh, the college kids want to go out and party too and things like that. So um, I, I think maybe in some ways it's a wash uh, as to what the, the X factors are for keeping everybody safe. But um, certainly the Marlins situation has got to put some pause into anybody wanting to see sports this season. 
Well, we've seen situations at CU where at points in a season, they're really struggling with injuries. And that's in a typical year when you've had, you know, strength and conditioning going on aside from May for, you know, pretty much the whole off season and a full camp and all that, you know, these guys haven't had that. They've had voluntary workouts, but it's not this quite the same thing. And so you start having positive tests you have injuries already, it's going to be hard for some of these teams to, to field a football team. Yeah, and, and that was something I remember, you know, back in April, maybe, I talked to Matt McChesney. That was something he talked about, that he was worried about um, if guys aren't working out, that they're, they'll be more susceptible to injuries. But there's another thing, Adam, that um, the Buffs are down to 83 scholarships right now going into camp, um, so they're already below the number. What we have not heard, because uh, I'm not sure anybody's made the choice yet, is so we're seeing in some of these leagues that players are opting out. What we don't know is what if some players opt out? And let's say a handful of buffs decide, I don't want to play. I don't feel safe in playing. Now you're down to, say, 78 guys. And then you have the injuries on top of that, or you have some, some positive tests. Now are you down to 70 players? You know, um, So this could get real thin real quick. And um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it happens. I think you know, that's where – you know, more games, people want a 12-game season. It just can't happen this year. Um, Ten games might be the max, and even getting through that might be uh, very difficult. Do you have any college eligibility left, Brian? <laughs> um, I think I have a year. I'm not sure anybody would want to use it, but, uh, you know, I could push some people around. <laughs> we heard recently Rick George come out and say, this is an example of why college football needs a commissioner, because you've got all these different conferences – uh, that have different plans right now, and, and none of them are finalized because nothing can be final at this point. But that was a good point. You know, it, it's just tough when you've got conferences that are going about approaching this a little bit differently. If there was a college football commissioner and you had that job, what would be your plan right now in terms of a potential fall season, or would you just cancel it and look ahead to the spring? How, how would you handle it if, if, you had that, if there was that position and you had that power? Well, I, first off, I wouldn't want to be in that position and have that type of power. I think that there's so much responsibility at stake in, in a situation like that. But um, I, I think that number one, what a commissioner having a commissioner would do, and I think uh, to Rick George's point, is there would be uniform protocol across the board, right? There would be some testing protocol. Um, I would look at maybe what Major League Baseball has done. That clearly they're testing guys frequently. And, uh, you know, aside from the Marlins, it's worked pretty well. The NBA has not had positives. The NHL has not had positives. Uh, I'm not sure how you can put college football in a bubble like some of those sports have. Um, but I think that if I'm commissioner of college football, there's got to be uniform policies ac- across the board. And, uh, and from that point, um, I think there's so many factors you can look at, Adam. I mean, you, you can look at um, do you, for this one year, look at saying let's limit travel and maybe play a regional type of schedule, uh, you, know, you know, scrap the conference system, do things like that. I mean, there's so many things, but I think my number one thing would be uh, uniform testing and protocols across the board. And I would probably, I think the Pac-12 with the 10-game schedule is maybe a little bit too aggressive for me. I think yeah. if you went to an eight-game schedule, that opens up more weeks in there to where if a team does have an issue, there's more leeway within that schedule. And then if you're kind of going in with the plan of an eight-game schedule and cases keep spiking here in the coming weeks and you're not able to kick off that fall season on time, you can move that schedule to the spring. 
And I know Urban Meyer's been outspoken about the fact that there shouldn't be a spring season because it's not safe for the players. But if you played an eight-game schedule in the spring and then had another shortened season, that's 16 games. You know, these guys typically play 12 to 14, 15 if they make college football playoff, you know, in a typical season. You, yeah. If you had a spring season, you wouldn't have a spring ball, a tr- traditional spring ball. So I think you could still give some players some time off in the summer to allow them to recuperate. I mean, again, player safety is important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing out that out the window. That's why I would go to a shortened season for the spring and fall. And I bet if you pulled players, they would be on board with that. That you know They have to put in a lot of time in workouts that aren't a whole lot of fun. If you say – you know, in the spring and the fall, you get to play in a minimum of 16 games. You know, that's that's why these guys want to play college football is for the games, not not the practice and workouts. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and I, I agree with you. I think any sort of uh, spring football season is going to have a big impact on what 2021 season looks like. Right. Um, and, you know, it's interesting when we've talked to the, the CU players this summer, we've asked every single one of them, do you have any hesitation about playing? And all of them say, no, I just want to play. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, certainly there's going to be some guys that maybe opt out that don't feel that way, but these guys just want to play. I mean, they've done a lot of work they don't want to be for nothing and they just want to play football. And I agree with you. If you did, if you had to do it and do an eight game uh, season in the spring uh, and probably no bowl games in that, um, I'm not sure how they're going to do bowl games for, for 2020. Um, but if you do an eight game season in the spring and come back and, uh, and do an eight game season in the fall of 2021, with some bowls, then I think maybe you can make that work. Could you tie in those games somehow to the bowl system, or would that be kind of awkward for just a historical standpoint? I think it would be awkward, um, and we'll see what the spring looks like. But um, I guess for me, um, when I look at if there's a fall football season, I don't see how they're going to do bowl games. Um, I just don't see how you can do that. But maybe you can tie in some bowls. Um, I certainly don't think there will be 40 bowl games like we've seen. Maybe there's 10. You know, Maybe there's 15 bowl games. Uh, maybe some of the big ones were able to pull it off, but um, some lawnmower bowl that's down in the, in Florida, you know, I, I don't see something like that happening this year, but um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I'm not sure there's going to be a fall season, but uh, you know, 10 games, you're right. might be too aggressive for the PAC 12. We'll see. Well, hopefully we'll find out a little bit more here within, you got to assume in the next month, if they're actually going to start, in, in mid or late September. I mean, these guys have got to get into a camp. You can't just throw them out there for games, obviously. So hopefully yeah. a little bit more clarity uh, before too long. Moving over to recruiting, this is some actual news that, that is happening right now. Uh, buffs up to 10 commits for the 2021 class. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. There's another prospect that sets to announce on Thursday. So I uh, might have an 11th on that list by the time you're listening to this. Brian, there's been a, a heated debate on our message board about this recruiting class. Mm-hmm. The guys in this class don't have as many power five options as what we saw with Mel Tucker's class last year. And that's something that Buffs fans were starting to get accustomed to for a brief period of time. But at the same time, how, how do you criticize Carl Durrell and the staff? They have literally had zero prospects on campus where they've been able to interact with them. It's, I don't know if anybody deserves a pass in it's not to say they're not good guys in this recruiting class, but with the class size and given the constraints of everything that you couldn't have expected this to be the type of class that they had in 2020. Yeah, you're right. And I think, I think if there's football this year, I think in all aspects, Carl Durrell gets somewhat of a pass for everything this year. Um, 
you know, and he won't take it, you know, publicly he'll, he'll say, you know, you can't think that way, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, you come in late anyway. Um, you, you don't have a chance to really bring guys in campus and, and, you know, it sounds like, I know you've talked to, you know, a bunch of recruits as well. Um, I've talked to uh, many of the commitments, every single one of them says, I love the virtual visit. And so, it sounds like CU's done a really good job with the virtual visits, but they're just not the same. And, uh, and that's why uh, the kid who committed earlier this week, Trevor Woods, um, he made it a point. He came up with his father and sister because he, he said, I had to see the campus before I could commit. Now, he couldn't meet any of the coaches or anything like that, but he needed to see it. Many of the other guys, Alan Baugh, you know, some of those other guys, they have not seen the campus yet. And so it's sort of amazing they've got as many commitments as they, as they have right now. Um, but in order to do that, they've kind of gone after some maybe some unheralded guys and guys that um, don't wow the fans and say, say, okay, I'm excited about this guy. Eric Olson is probably the guy that um, you'd look at and say is the top guy in this class right now. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot that um, gets fans excited. Um, and maybe that's unfair to these kids, but it's not maybe the momentum that we saw from Tucker at the end there. Yeah, you mentioned most of these commits haven't been able to get out to Boulder to see with their own eyes. You grew up uh, here, so I doubt you remember your first memory of Boulder, but I'd seen pictures and, and Boulder on video, and then you visit it for the first time. It's just stunning in person. It doesn't always translate because sometimes it kind of looks fake on a postcard. Yeah, it does. One of my earliest memories, I was coming up here um, as a as a high school senior, and I hated driving around Boulder because I couldn't figure out where I was going. But that was just because I was a new driver and didn't know what I was doing. But <laughs> yeah, Boulder Boulder's pretty awesome, and you're right. I mean, it looks like a postcard and. Um, for any kid that's coming right now, uh, how could you not fall in love with Boulder? Um, especially if you're any type of outdoorsman, right? Uh, and there's been a lot of out, outdoorsman type kids that have that have fallen in love with Boulder because of that. But uh, I don't think you can come to Boulder, especially this time of year, and not get excited about the, the surroundings. From talking to some of these commits and, and maybe watching a little film here and there, are there any guys in this class that you felt feel might be a little bit underrated? Guys that stand out to you at least? Well, you know, as we kind of talked about, the fans would say a lot of these guys are, <laughs> are not rated real well. But um, honestly, for me, the most underrated guy is maybe the, the most recent commitment, and, uh, and that's Trevor Woods, who just recently got a composite rating uh, from 24-7, but doesn't have a whole lot of Power 5 offers hit in Arizona and as well as CU. But uh, he's a guy that when you look at his numbers, you watch his film, that's just a football player to me. I love how he makes plays. Not just in football, but the kid was hitting 514 in baseball when the season was shut down uh, 12 games in. So that to me is just just an athlete, a guy that knows how to make plays. And, and I love kids like that. He reminds me um, of a Ryan Muller type. I mean, Ryan Muller was a star in high school that just he knew sports and he knew how to play and win. And I think Trevor Woods is maybe that type of guy. It's funny because that's the first guy I thought of, too, when looking at this class and thinking about guys that might be underrated. He certainly looks like a top 100 Texas recruit to me on film. Uh, you mentioned some yeah. of his accolades. I mean, he returned all four of his interceptions for a touchdown last year and just all over the place, has versatility on the back end. And he's a 3.95 student that wants to study business. So a lot to like there. Are there any uncommitted guys that you think would be really good gets for the Buffs? Real quick, going back to Trevor Woods, I want to mention, he mentioned to me, hey, my first target as a receiver, I got featured on I got uh, on You Got Mossed uh, by ESPN. So, you know, he actually made it, you know, he's, he's a pretty decent receiver as well. Uh, but as far as uh, favorite uncommitted target, um, 
But for me, Adam, it's got to be, you know, quarterback. And I got to go there because, uh, you know, the Buffs, you know, they didn't get one two years ago. They got Brendan Lewis, their thin at quarterback uh, as far as, uh, you know, scholarship numbers. Um, they've got to get a quarterback this year. And, uh, you know, I like all three of the guys that are kind of in the running, uh, Cameron Friel, Maddox, uh, and, and Drew Carter. But I think my favorite one would probably be Drew Carter, um, a kid that, uh, you know, is a pretty good basketball player as well. Uh, but Drew Carter might be the uh, my favorite uncommitted target. I think mine is Caleb Elam's or he's a top uh, 20 recruit in California, elite pass rusher. If you can get a guy like Jason Harris or an Elam's or in each cycle, and then you can hit on on the league quarterback, maybe every three years, you're going to win a lot of football games. And obviously that hasn't been the only issue with CU football in the last 15 years, but those are the probably the top two, right? Is they haven't always had that elite pass rusher and they've had trouble recruiting quarterbacks. I mean, they have not had a quarterback drafted since Coy Detmer. So again, you're not going to hit on a quarterback every year, but got to find some luck recruiting that position. And maybe Brennan Lewis is that guy, or maybe even Tyler Lytle. We don't know yet, but you talked about the quarterbacks and that be important. And I think pass rusher is the other thing too. If you, again, if you can get a guy like that in each class, you're, you're going to have a lot of success. Yeah. Offensive line as well. Um, has been an issue with CU, but but you're right. I mean, you talk about quarterback, and nobody drafted since uh, Corey Detmer. I thought Steven Montez was going to end that drought, uh, but did, didn't quite get in there. Um, but, you know, Tyler Lytle is uh, the most highly recruited quarterback they've had since Craig Oaks. And, uh, you know, people are already uh, ready to push him aside for Brendan Lewis uh, without um, even really seeing Tyler. So it tells you how quarterback starved uh, this fan base is right now. So, um, you know, I. I, I just think they need a quarterback. And, and maybe Brendan Lewis, uh, Tyler Lytle are guys that are going to hold down that position for a while. And whoever comes in this 2021 class waits. Uh, but uh, I think they got to get a quarterback. This is going to be a smaller class. You know, they've only got eight seniors, but they do have two open scholarships along with that. Attrition always occurs. I still probably think they end up signing more than 18, but probably not more than 21. What are you thinking in terms of class size? Yeah, I've, I've kind of looked at, uh, you know, that 15 to 18 range. Um, I'm not sure. They're going to need a lot of attrition uh, to get up to uh, the 20 number, and, and maybe that happens. We always see attrition, right? Um, but they're currently two under the limit anyway, uh, the eight seniors. So that gives you 10 right there. Um, and then some attrition that naturally is going to happen. Is there 10 guys that leave after, after the season? I don't know. Um, but uh, they're going to need some attrition, I think, to get up to 20. So I would probably lean more towards the 15 to 18 range. And if you you do find a sleeper or two, there, there's always the possibility to gray shirt a guy or two if you happen right. to go a little bit over that number. But every year when they sign, however many they sign, fans go, how in the world are they going to fit this in their numbers wise? And it always works out. In fact, this year they've got open scholarships. So it's funny how that works itself out. How many years in a row now is it? have we heard fans that get worried about the numbers and going into August, there's actually open scholarships because they've given scholarships to to walk-ons for a, a number of years now. And yeah. so there's always going to be open guys. So while I say that 15 number, maybe it will be 20 and, now there'll be, and we'll be sitting here uh, a year from now saying, oh, they've only got 83 guys on scholarship. <laughs> so recently we did a all-time CU football draft with William Gardner and myself. His team dominated the voting. People liked his team more. I, I took some chances Byron Wizard White was my punt returner. I drafted Mason Crosby really early. People weren't uh, enjoying my special teams as much as I thought maybe they would. Who who would have been your your top picks if you were involved in that draft? 
Well, I think certainly it depends on the context you look at it. You know, um, are they guys that are going to compete and play under today's rules or is it based on how they played against their competition? And, you know, I would go off of that. And my number one pick would be Byron Wizard White, you know, just because, you know, obviously, you know, a tremendous running back. He led the country in rushing uh, and scoring. He was also, uh, you know, a punt returner. Uh, he still holds some records for returning, right? Mm-hmm. He was a punter. He did a little of everything. So that'd be my number one pick because I could play him at uh, several different positions. Yeah, I guess Joe Romig would have been from from that standpoint of, you know, their from era. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went with Alfred Williams uh, first. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I would probably look there. Okay. Alfred Williams would be right up there. I mean, you can make a case for Alfred being the best defensive player Steve's ever had. You know, I mean, he'd be right up there. So, um, but to me, it's I, I would go with Wizard White, and uh, you know, you might have the Anderson brothers around there somewhere. You know, quarterback wise, depends on if we're running the option or not. If we're running the option, I'm going well, Hagen see, for sure. Yeah, if I had I Hagen. Not, I'm probably going Cordell. Okay. Yeah, I, I had Hagen, and I almost thought of drafting Bobby Anderson too, because I figured. Uh, with him being a quarterback slash halfback, you could do a lot of funky stuff <laughs> offensively. One more note before we get into the mailbag, Tedrick Thompson side by the chiefs and uh, hopefully Paul Richardson will get picked up here pretty soon. Good to see Tedrick Thompson uh, sticking around in the NFL and he's there with uh, Eric bien now. Yeah, it's good to see that. And uh, you know, Tedrick, a uh, great kid. Um, he got off to a pretty good start with the Seahawks and um, it's unfortunate that uh, that didn't work out for him to stay there, but, Hopefully, uh, you know, he lands in a good spot with the Chiefs and uh, and can pick up his career and get going again. All right. We'll start in the Buff Stampede mailbag with a question from Wild Buff. He asked, hate to ask, but what percentage likelihood do you give any type of fall season as it stands right now? Right now, man, that's a tough one, Adam. I I think it's probably 50-50 for me. Um, I just – right now – I just think things are so fluid. And if I had to guess right now, I would, I would not bet on there being a college football season this fall. Um, but I think that it depends on how patient people are, right? Um, if the conference commissioners are going to be patient and, uh, and give it another three, four weeks and see where numbers go and numbers start trending the other way and they start looking positive, then we're going to have a season. Um, if they start uh, trending you know, if they keep going in a, in a negative trend, we're not going to have a season. Um, some some conferences are making decisions right now, and if you want to base off of right now, then I, it's hard to see a season. But uh, I'd like to see teams or conference commissioners maybe have some patience and see what it looks like in a few weeks. Yeah, and it's you know we we're getting emails from our kids' school districts in terms of their plans, and they've got this plan. What happens? The first month of the season, if God forbid a teacher, you know, gets ill and possibly dies, you know what I mean? Like you can't yeah. predict what, what happens if, if a coach ends up having something serious happen to him, uh, this was asking if there's any type of fall season. Yeah, probably around 50, 50 that there's some type, but for them actually to have a 10 game conference schedule and all the teams in the PAC 12 to play 10 games, I think that's somewhere around 20%. I just don't think that's realistic. I agree with you. And for it to be, I, I don't see bowl games happening at all, unless it's, uh, you know, maybe the, the college football playoff. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't see a full bowl season like we've had in the past. And so I think for this to be anything like what we've seen in the past, I'd probably put that 
10%, right? But even having a 10-game schedule, I'm not sure how possible that is. Maybe we can get more optimistic on this one. Jack CR 708 asked, do you expect games with full crowds come fall of 2021 for all of college football with no restrictions? Um, no, I would say not with no restrictions. Um, I do think it sounds like things are going well when you read studies about um, the studies they've had on the vaccine that they're working on, that things are going well there. Um, if there's a vaccine, I think that we could see full crowds in 2021 with no restrictions. I would say no, because I think that things are going to, I think it's going to be a number of years maybe before we see no restrictions that, um, and maybe we never will, but I think there's still going to be, you know, some sort of Rick George talked about it before with, uh, you know, going paperless. I could see that as maybe being um, something that changes, you know, forever as going paperless tickets, things like that. Uh, I just think there'll be some sort of restriction in 2021, but possibly full crowds. You mentioned the the positive early results from the vaccine testings. You can't predict the future on that. Uh, yeah. Right now we're getting what between 50,000 and 80,000 new cases in the United States every day. If that continued, is that enough for herd immunity? I don't know how many people have to get this for that actually to be a possibility. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was reading up on the 1918 flu pandemic and because my wife and I were curious, well, what, what stopped it? And it was the stuff I read was, it was basically many of the people that got it died <laughs> for one. Uh, but the other thing was that so many people got it and built up immunity. And, uh, so it became not an issue anymore. And so, um, you know, at what point does it become um, herd immunity? I don't know. I don't know how many cases we have to have, but, uh, you know, I certainly think that things will be better, uh, much more normal a year from now. Maybe that's just me being optimistic, but I think a year from now we're talking about more of a, of a traditional college football season uh, than we are right now. All right. Unblockable asked, what are our chances with Maddox cop and Jack CR 708 asked, what are our chances of landing Jaden Jones and Al Ashford? Seems like we are the front runners for them. So cop is going to announce his top five pretty soon. Right now it looks like CU Ole Miss and Houston are his best options right now, but Got Cameron Friel, Drew Carter, we've talked about on this podcast already that are other CU targets. So one of those guys could take that spot. And then with Jaden Jones, yeah, it looks like CU is a front runner right now. Al Ashford, same thing. But CU's been getting some defensive back commits. If they get another outsider linebacker or two, does, is there a spot for Jaden Jones? So to me, their chances all come down to is there a spot open for those guys when they decide? And so we'll, we'll see as we go forward. Is there anything you want to add, add on those guys? No, I think, I mean, you you would have a better answer on that one than I would because you follow that closer with the recruiting. But my question to you on that on the follow-up is um, how much of these guys committing early? We've seen a lot of commits from CU recently. How much of it is guys that just want to get their spot secured? You know, um, you know, we're seeing guys are committing without going to campus. Will that hurt a guy like Jaden Jones? Uh, you know, do, do guys need to commit now to get their spot? Well, it's funny is there's been so many recruits that I've talked to that say, I'm going to wait till after my senior season or midway through the season. And then a week later, they've committed somewhere for that reason, because yeah. <laughs> it, it's not, at least from what I've garnered from CU, it's not putting pressure on these kids. It's being honest with them. Yeah. You, we're only going to take a certain amount of guys at this position. We really like you. Yeah. If, if you're not ready to decide, you know, we're not going to twist your arm, but this is the situation. And so that's why you've seen a lot of this, uh, if players, if these prospects in the 2021 class are allowed to take visits at some point, 
you're obviously going to see now with, with this cycle more than any we've ever seen where guys that are committed and they're taking visits to other schools. And yeah. I think if you're a college that has a kid committed in the past, you might say, well, you're not committed if you go somewhere else. I think this time around, you've got to have a more leeway there because these kids haven't been able to get out and visit school. So that's the part of it that will be interesting, but it's not like this is, this pandemic is trending downward right now. So are these kids even going to be able to visit before they, they sign at some point? That's the, that's the crazy thing about recruiting right now. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, do some of these kids not sign in December and they wait for February, right? Or, you know, are, are we going to see more kids flipping than we ever have before? Because, they'll finally get that chance to make, take that visit and they like somewhere else better. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I'm curious if it'll impact the December signing day and I may push February into the bigger deal this cycle. Yeah. BR Buff asked, as a follower of CU recruiting for 30 years, I've seen a lot of film recruits boomer bust and skills. I'm looking in particular at Tyus Martin, Jackson Anderson, and Chase Pennery as current CU commits with excellent film and skills. Henry is a rocket with glue hands who seems to quickly lose the opposing cornerback in a second. Can you comment on these three, please? So he says he's been following recruiting for 30 years. He must have been way back in the day when you had to like call up on, on the voicemail line or get the faxes sent to you. That's that's an old school recruiting fan right there. Yeah, I like that. That's back, uh, you know, Cordell Stewart, you know, when, when Cordell Stewart's coming out of high school, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know these guys again. You know, you'll you'll be able to talk more about these guys than I can. But um, he mentions Chase Penry. Um, I certainly like Chase's film. Um, you know, I think I think he's kind of uh, you know maybe he's one of those unsung recruits in this class. But uh, I certainly like his film. I like what I've seen from from Tyus and Jackson Anderson as well. Yeah, Tyus Martin is exactly what you want in a nose tackle because of his frame. And there's, there's even video of him out there training. It looks like he moves really well for that size. So as long as he comes in in good condition and then you, you've got to learn how to play with good pad level at that position, that's something like going back to Javier Edwards' his junior year. You know, he's biggest guy in the field, but if his pads get too high, the low man's going to win in that situation. So that'll be the thing that, he, that he's got to be good at. But everything else about him – uh, screams future starting nose tackle. So we'll see. And uh, Jackson Anderson looks like he's got the, the frame where he's going to be able to be about three ten after a red shirt year play guard. Interesting. His two older brothers didn't pan out very well at Texas A&M, but I don't think you can really hold that against Jackson. And then uh, who's the other guy? Oh, Chase Penry. Yeah. I mean, they might only take one receiver this year. So that, that should tell you a little bit about Chase Penry. This wasn't a situation where, the staff got pressured into taking him because he's a creep guy, an instant guy. I mean, even Mel Tucker's staff loved him. And, and you saw Carl Durrell take over, and three of the guys that were on the commit list were no longer on that commit list very long. But Chase Penry was a guy that Carl Durrell reached out to as a receiver's guy, saying yeah. that he really likes his potential. So, so that some, so, tells you something, too. All right, moving along. Movie Buff asks, 2021 recruits were lucky to have a junior season in film. How will 2022 recruiting be different with the possibility of no junior film? Does it bring more mediocrity to college football since prospects will be less sure and recruiting will have to be even more prospective? And he used the example, Blue Bloods can't collect on proven four- and five-star prospects. Well, the last part there, Blue, Blue Bloods will always collect on those four- and five-star prospects. That's... Right. Just how it works. Um, and, you know, with the blue chip guys, you don't have to be a football expert. Like the top 250 guys nationally, they 
just look a little different. You go out to a camp and or watch. It's just even if they don't have the film, those guys are still going to get it. It's that next year guys that might have struggles. And I me mean, at this stage, it's hard to say because California's already said they're going to come out and have a spring season. It, will the NCAA change how the evaluate evaluation periods look, knowing that these colleges need to see these guys? Will they allow certain camp settings to to have college coaches where they previously weren't allowed to be at? So I think the NCAA would probably change some things up because it would benefit, obviously, not only the colleges, but the, the, the high school athletes as well. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. You know, another guy, I, I thought of a guy like Ryan Williams, who just committed earlier this week. Um, a guy like that could be hurt as well. This was a kid that um, really kind of um, is blossoming right now. Um, but, yeah, if there's no football season, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens uh, with a lot of these recruits. And um, this this class right now, this 2021, it's more unique than it's than any class before them. Uh, but 2020, 2022 could be even more unique than 2021. So um, it's good. I think it's this is going to impact recruiting uh, for two or three years, I think. And yeah. it certainly affects the You think you're going to see more sleepers in the 2021, 2022 classes just because they're going to end up somewhere, maybe a Mountain West program, whereas if they had the opportunity, maybe they could have earned that Power 5 option. So it'll be interesting to see just, you know, how many of these guys pan out in these classes as compared to a typical class? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, and uh, I'm not sure we know the answer at this point. <laughs> no. Aaron Lott 303 asked, when do you think we will hear more from Carl Durrell on his approach to the upcoming season? He's been pretty quiet all summer. Well, I don't know what he can tell us right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, he, he has been pretty quiet. And, uh, you know, I recently asked, uh, you know, when we'd have a chance to talk to him again. And I was told that uh, hey, he doesn't really have much to say right now, that he feels like he's answering the same question. So, yeah. um, you know, I think fans don't want to hear that because they want to hear from the head football coach, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I personally think Darrell could offer more uh, than maybe he thinks he can. But uh, his personality right now is just, uh, hey, he's in this new job. He's still trying to feel things out. This is a unique situation. Um, he doesn't have answers. that People are going to ask him a lot of questions that he doesn't have answers for. He's going to get asked about um, what this season is going to look like or, you know, whether he thinks there'll be a season. He doesn't know. Uh, it's all speculation. And uh, you and I could answer that just as well as Carl Terrell can right now, it seems. So. Um, when do we think we'll hear more from Carl Durrell? I would guess we don't go uh, much into August before we hear from him. I would imagine we'll hear from him here in the next couple of weeks. It's been a while, though. Yeah, I would assume his stuff is mandatory. Right now it's all voluntary workouts yeah. there. Uh, so, yeah. Moving along, Bat Buff asked, any new insight to the starting quarterback job? Looks like Katie Nixon has been working out with Brandon Lewis. So, Brian, give us a whole breakdown of the quarterback position with no spring ball and no fall camp. Well, I've been so uh, you know, I've been climbing up uh, to the top of the the apartments that are near the fields and watching the player up right now. Uh, <laughs> Katie Nixon's been working out with Brendan Lewis, but he's been working out with everybody else as well. And I think they've they've all been working out with uh, with all the quarterbacks, from what I understand. So um, I just unfortunately, you know, I know Bat Buff wants to know this. Everybody wants to know this. There is no insight into the starting quarterback position right now, just because. Uh, the coaches haven't been on the field with them, and it's really hard to know. I mean, um, all we know right now is that, you know, Sam Neuer and Tyler Lytle looked pretty fast in some workouts the other day, according to 
uh, what we saw on social media. Uh, we've seen Brendan Lewis has uh, set a quarterback squat record. I know these guys have worked out a lot, uh, you know, and they're all getting ready. But um, there's no insight right now as far as no more than what we've already talked about, right? Um, Tyler Lytle's got a lot of experience. Sam Noyer's got some experience. Brendan doesn't have any. Um, how does this all translate when they get on the field? I don't know. I've seen some quarterbacks that look like All-Americans in a non-pass rush situation. You're talking about three guys that have no or limited experience at the college level and in Pac-12 in terms of live game reps. Until you start having – and I know they're not going to get tackled to the ground in practice, but until you start having some pressure put on them, there's nothing you can garner. Yeah, for sure. And when I said experience before, I meant – Obviously, uh, you know, years in college and being in a college system, obviously not on the field for mm-hmm. Sam and Tyler, but, but you're right. I mean, even, you know, last spring, uh, you know, you have fans that came away from that spring game saying Tyler Lytle is clearly the best quarterback they have. Uh, look, look how he looked. Like, well, yes, but uh, credit to Tyler and Sam. They played well in last year's spring game, but they also weren't allowed to get hit. And they're also going against some cornerbacks that, a month after the spring, weren't even on the team anymore. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little easier to look look good in that environment than it is uh, when you're, you know, playing on a Friday night in Eugene in front of 50,000 fans at Austin Stadium. So um, how are these guys going to look? I have no idea. There's, there's so much to be determined there. I think we're a long way from knowing uh, what this job's going to look like. Two more questions from Aaron Lott, 303, to finish out this mailbag segment. First question here is, which players or position battles are you most excited for when practice starts? Well, I think, you know, it's got to start with quarterback. I mean, that's where, um, I mean, that's the most important position on the field, and that's the one that's got to get settled. That's one that's going to garner the most interest. Um, I think beyond that, uh, I'm interested to see what receiver looks like because we've talked about Katie Nixon a little bit. Um, He's the senior coming back. He's got the most experience, but I am – really excited and we, we talked about it in the countdown the video in those videos i am really high on daniel arias and what he can do um on this team i think there are some really talented freshmen i think Vontae chenault um if things are okay with his situation it, it can be really good i think there's a lot of really good talent at receiver that's gonna be an interesting competition and then for me secondary is one that uh there's so many guys that uh um, have some things to prove and i think outside of mark perry there's a lot of open positions Right guard should be a fun yeah. battle to watch between Cannon Ray and Casey Roddick. Maybe there's a sleeper candidate there, a Ch- Chance Lytle or somebody else that, that emerges. Uh, the outside linebacker spot opposite Carson Welsh could be a really interesting battle too. Guy Thomas has been impressive with these workouts. Uh, you got Jamar Mac- Montgomery coming back. Uh, talented true freshman, you know, that group headlined by Jason Harris. So that's interesting. And another one that could get interesting is running back. You know, Alex Fondo yeah. looked good last year, but there's a lot of talent in that room. There is, and and that's one that, you know, hey, Alex had a good year last year, but uh, uh, does a health – not healthier, but does a more experienced Jaron Mangum push him more this year? Does Ashad Clayton live up to his four-star hype and come in and, and be the guy right away? I, I think uh, Alex has got to work hard to keep that position. And, and I'll add another one that uh, I don't know how much of a competition it will be, but uh, I'll be interested to see – the other inside linebacker spot next to Nate Lamman. You know, John Van Deese started there last year, and then Akeel Jones took over. I think we all expect Akeel to to be the starter, but um, but Van Deese was not healthy. Um, he had some some ankle issues last year. Um, does he come back? I know he's been working hard. Uh, you could. He's another one of those guys we mentioned uh, with somebody else earlier. 
uh, today that uh, you don't question their work ethic. You don't question John Van Deest's work ethic. Does he come back and, uh, and make a push to get that starting job back? So I think he certainly will uh, try to push for that. And so, so I think that's one that maybe isn't, wouldn't be on the top of my list of, of, of uh, position battles, but that, that could be an intriguing one. Yeah, and a lot of guys vying for backup spots on the, on the defensive line as well. Right. And uh, last question here. All teams are obviously affected and implicated this season. C was in a unique position with Mel Tucker leaving like he did. Does this altered season or lack thereof help or hurt CU more than other programs? I think it hurts. You know, I, I think it hurts CU more than other programs just because uh, you have Carl Durrell that uh, not only is he a new coach that came in late, uh, and didn't get spring ball, but uh, he's he's new back into college football. I mean, he's only been uh, outside of the one year as an OC at Vanderbilt back in 2014, I think. Uh, he hasn't been in college football much over the last decade. Um, he's still trying to get back into that groove. I, I think it hurts them a lot more than other programs. Yeah, I would agree with you. At least, though, for CU is Drew Wilson got retained. That was a big thing because he was the guy – even if they were on campus, you know, after spring ball leading up to camp was a guy that they were going to be the most contact with anyways. And so him being able to take that charge, you know, when these guys were back home and now that they're back is a big deal. And then Tyson Summers getting retained and then Chev at least having the familiarity with, you know, the, the personnel and the system. If those three guys weren't coming back, it would be really, really, really concerning. At least right. there is a little bit of continuity there with guys that are going to be prominent roles on the staff. Yeah, I agree with you. That that certainly helps having those three guys more than anybody back. Um, you know, Coach Hagan, you know, Coach Michaelowski coming back helps as well. But certainly those other three um, is going to help Durrell in that first year. But uh, uh, I just think uh, I think this year was going to be a little tough anyway. Even if Tucker had stayed and everything was normal, uh, would have been a little tough because you got a new quarterback and and uh, some some spots to fill. But um, man, I just think that it's going to be. If they play a full season, I mean, they're not going to play 12, but if they're able to play the full 10-game schedule uh, that looks like they're going to have, I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I'm not sure how many games they're going to win. All right, before we sign off, because we've got uh, some player interviews we got to do here shortly, a couple real quick basketball notes. CU's men's basketball program recently picked up a second blue-chip commit for 2021. And, Brian, assuming their current rating stays similar in the end to what it is right now, Lawson Lovering and Quincy Allen would be two of the top three rated signees in recent program history, along with Josh Scott. Uh, you know, whenever Tad Boyle gets some criticism from the fan base, he comes out and uh, he, he answers the call. He really does. And, you know, even before, even with, the, now that we're, I know we're talking about that class and, and he's doing a great job with that class, but uh, even this summer you lose Tyler Bay and to go out and get some of the, you know, Tristan De Silva, um, who was the other? Uh, they got Jariah Horn, a really quality yes, Jariah, transfer. Jariah Horn. Uh, you, know, you lose Tyler Bay and Lucas Seward, you go out and get Jariah Horn. You know, that was a big move uh, for Tad Boyle. Um, and I apologize, I'm blanking. I don't have it right in front of me. It was a freshman, but uh, uh, Jabari Walker um, was, was the other one. But, uh, you know, Tad Boyle did a really good job filling out this 2020 group. And uh, 2021, you've got to like what he's doing so far. And just lastly here, Andre Robertson, he returns to court after missing 180 games with a left knee injury. And he's, he's coming back, and he's, he's stroking three-pointers out there. We haven't seen that from Andre Robertson before. Yeah, it's, it's good to see that. Uh, you know, more than anything, it's just good to see him healthy. But it's good to see him uh, you know, playing well and, uh, and getting in the starting lineup last night as well. 
All right, Brian, well, it was great to catch up with you. Hopefully the next time we do a podcast like this, we have a little bit more clarity on what we can expect for, from the coming months. Yeah, it'd be nice to do some post-practice uh, videos at some point soon, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> it sure would. It sure would. I'm ready to get back to football, so hopefully we get that opportunity. Brian, thanks for joining me on this, and thanks to all of you for tuning in.